Hello, everybody, and welcome to Today in Space. Uh, it's a it's a strange week, you know. We had we had COVID nineteen. We've been on lockdown. We're still on lockdown, and yet uh, things keep getting stranger. We're, we're balancing the extreme emotions of excitement with the success of Demo Two and Launch America and America's Return to Human Spaceflight. SpaceX's success after uh, basically a decade of, of working extremely hard and, and, and going against the odds of the space industry and succeeding. And, of course, we have the extreme sadness of George, George Floyd's murder and the, the justice that will come from that. And a lot of what I did on Saturday was go back, I'm sorry, on Tuesday, was go back and look at the history of the space program to see what we can learn uh, and it's 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 interesting that we seem to be repeating history here you know NASA in the 60s the civil rights movement in the 60s and things that led up to that it seems we're doing the same thing so I'm, I'm going to do more research and will bring the the past to light so we can learn something from it i think there's something valuable to to happen here uh, that we can learn from, that we can take this opportunity of extreme excitement in a, in a way to change the way that we look at the future, the same way that landing on the moon did for uh, humanity and it brought us together and, and hope made us think outside of the the influence of just being on a planet like Earth and seeing what the environment of space and and the the amazing opportunities that are ahead of us if we take advantage of them. So if we look at our past, we can learn from that. It's a very powerful tool as a human being. So with this week, we had a, a tremendous conversation a few weeks back with Wayne Newmeyer. He is a, a real-life rocket scientist, a rocket propulsion engineer, and he's also a costume maker, prop builder, rob, robot fabricator. Um, but you'll learn way more about that. He'll tell you more about his background. And the reason it's so long is because we had such a great time. Um, literally could have talked for way more hours uh, on any of these single topics, as, as Wayne had mentioned to me. Uh, I agree. We, we could have talked for way longer, and I, I expect we'll be talking again soon. Um, but please enjoy this episode with Wayne. Uh, we've got uh, some more stuff coming up this month that uh, you should get excited about. As always, Today in Space Pod on Instagram and Twitter, Today in Space Podcast on Facebook, Today in Space on TikTok, and we have our Spotify playlist where you can listen to all types of space and science theme music. Uh, don't worry, it's not just themes, orchestral themes from music, but uh, it's actually, it's, it's a great playlist to just put on random when you're either waiting to watch a launch, hanging out, on a drive, doing work, whatever it is, we use it all the time here. Uh, but I hope you enjoy. Please be safe out there and spread love and spread science, people. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to another episode of Today in Space. This week we have a segment of People of Science where we dive into the diverse background of different people that are involved in science, kind of break down, you know, hey, is someone in science, they wear a lab coat, they work with beakers. No, that's not that's not always true. And so it's almost never true. So um, we, we have to, today with us a very special guest, uh, Wayne from A7L Props on Instagram. Uh, as it says 
on his Instagram. Uh, he's a costume maker, prop builder, robot fabricator, and real life rocket scientist. Wayne, thank you very much for being on the show. Hi, it's uh, good to be here. Uh, you know, we we got in touch with each other through a mutual connection online, which is so cool. Just uh, given all this time with everyone being in lockdown and just how the internet is in general, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the connections I've made just in this time alone has been really cool. And it's, it's great that this is, this is propped up that we get to talk. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, let's start with uh, kind of how we start all these segments. Uh, tell, tell people about what your career is in science right now. And, and, uh, and we'll, we'll go from there. All right. So uh, my day job is I'm a manufacturing, I'm a rocket propulsion engineer, specifically with manufacturing and testing for uh, Dianetics here in uh, Huntsville, Alabama. Uh, So basically, I'm the guy who has to figure out how to make it, how to test it. And then I'm also the person who has to go out and actually test it. So a, a, a perfect combination of like the theoretical, the practical, like, okay, this might work this way, but then you dive in and you actually figure out how it actually works. Yes. Um, my job basically is kind of a jack of all trades. So saying a exact job title also kind of gets <laughs> difficult because like we've actually had meetings where like, this is Wayne. He basically does everything. <laughs> It, that's a uh, that's very familiar to me because I've I've found myself kind of in a similar position with with I I think it's an aerospace mindset I don't know why I mean correct me if I'm wrong I mean uh, you know when I went to school for this you kind of learn a whole bunch of different things you learn uh, electronics you learn fluids you learn uh, mechanics and and you kind of have to learn how to put them all together was that your experience Yeah that was uh, one of my main takeaways from uh, uh, earning my degree. Um, was the aerospace engineering curriculum was basically a you're a little bit of everything. So we had to take courses in, uh, so we're like a mechanical engineer uh, or an electrical engineer would dive, you know, much, much farther down the rabbit hole of circuitry um, and MOSFETs and all that fun stuff. We would take the introduction class of, uh, you know, base resistors and capacitors. And we had to learn physics, electrical engineer, control theory, computer programming. And basically you learn enough that you can talk to any of these other subgroups and be able to have a conversation with them. So it's kind of like you're not exactly an expert at one thing, but you're very well educated in a little bit of everything. Hmm. Yes. Uh, you know, well, first, before I, I have so many things I, I want to ask, but I want to, I want to make sure that I stay on track here. Cause I, this is just very exciting to talk to you. A like-minded yes. person. Um, what, what was your background before? Like, so when, when you were, before you went to school for aerospace engineering, did you have a background in science and engineering? Like what, what brought you there to applying to school for this? Um, so if you go, I've always been into uh, space and science and rockets, um, even from when I was uh, four years old. Um, I think my dad was uh, walking with me outside the house one day and uh, pointed at the moon. It's like, hey, you know, one day you might go up there. Um, So I always read like, you know, the, you know, when we went to the library, I would get like the space books. you know, the fiction, the nonfiction ones, um, you know, reading about Apollo and the shuttle. Um, 
When I was 11 years old, uh, my mom got me a model rocket for my birthday. Um, this one. Nice. <laughs> um, and uh, she actually didn't know it flew. She thought it was just a toy oh. model. She didn't realize it actually had like propellant in it and whatnot. <laughs> um, so then um, basically that just took off for years. So every like holiday, you know, birthday, Christmas, Easter, um, I was getting a new rocket kit. And then um, when I got to uh, high school and, uh, started, um, you know, I had a part-time job, uh, as a chicken breader and, uh, I finally started like, uh, designing my own, mm. um, like I dug up, uh, you know, Bernoulli's equation to figure out, you know, where the CG versus the fins have to be in order to stay stable mm. and actually started building my own. Oh, um, by my senior year of high school, um, they just announced the first Team America Rocketry Challenge, mm -hmm. um, which is still going on to this day. Obviously, this year's got canceled. Mm -hmm. but, um, uh, it's a national high school competition. It's open for schools all across the country. And basically, you have to design, build, and fly a rocket that meets a very specific um, mission criteria. Cool. So the year... Um, we did it. Um, the contest was two eggs on uh, two or more stages to 1,500 feet exactly, no more, no less. And whoever got the closest um, and brought everything back safely uh, would win the grand prize, uh, which was like a bunch of scholarships and grants and stuff. Um, so we actually, uh, me and my friends, uh, Eric and Armand, with our teacher, uh, Mr. Knapp, uh, we set out and we designed and built, um, all uh, we called it Firestorm, um, actually. <laughs> That's that rocket. Awesome. For, for the folks that are just, just listening, he has it tattooed on his arm. This is this is awesome. <laughs> yes. Um, so we made it to the National Flyoffs of Virginia. I think our record was we got within 80 feet of it. Wow. Um, and uh, that's close. The, Damn. Yeah, I think the winning team got within five. Um, so now the newer years of the competition, I think they also have a time requirement where it's not only the altitude, but you actually have to stay in the air from launch to landing. So now you also have to factor in, um, how big your parachute is. Mm. Um, so yeah, yeah, I've actually been wanting to go back and try building something to go for recent competitions. Mm. Just, um, you know, by the time it opens up, I'm usually knee deep in, uh, some other project and I never get around to it. <laughs> yeah, I, I can relate. Um, that, that's great. So that's so cool. I, I have a, I wanted a quick question on that stuff. Mm -hmm. What supplies were you guys using to build these rockets? Cause I think that, um, it's a lot model, yeah, model rockets, um, are typically, uh, same thing you get from the stores, uh, those little Estes kits. Um, so basically it's a cardboard tube with a, um, plastic nose cone and usually if you're starting off your fins are typically either injected molded plastic or balsa wood mm. um when you start working your way up uh then you get into plywood um so the rocket we built for a competition uh we actually 
got supplies from a few different places. So we found a model rocket kit. Uh, it was called the Executioner at the time, Sweet. and it had the uh, it had the diameter we needed and a nose cone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we got that. Then we got extra body tubes, and then we uh, made our fins and uh, centering rings out of uh, aircraft uh, plywood. Mm. Um, so yeah, just using a, a scroll saw to cut that and, you know, wood glue and epoxies and, you know, everything you can get from Home Depot. That's cool. So you're kind of like piecing together just like, okay, I can find this with this, uh, model. Then we're going to attach it with this stuff and just kind of piecing it together to whatever. Yes. Yeah. That, no, that's, that's cool. It's funny. Cause I, it's, it's kind of what we do with, uh, the space program. We have different, uh, contractors and we kind of say, okay, you guys got this module we'll take you guys are working on this and we'll put it all together to build a system for well yeah so even like in the real uh aerospace industry a lot of it is okay is there something like when we have to go looking for valves for a land or something uh typically we're finding okay is there something that comes close and if it's close what do we need to do to change it to get it to meet our requirements like is the flow rate not high enough do we need to weld on a fitting um Actually, uh, one of my uh, first uh, uh, projects as a full-time engineer was uh, we built a peroxide-powered lander, the Mighty Eagle lander, Mm. and um, I was the uh, lead propulsion engineer for that because my company delivered the hydrogen peroxide propulsion system, and hydrogen peroxide um, is a oxidizer that is a monopropellant. So if you run it across a silver catalyst, it um, decomposes into steam and oxygen, and that gives you thrust. Um, so in order to keep this stuff from decomposing before that point, material compatibility is absolutely critical. Mm. Um, particularly, everything has to be either Teflon, Viton, uh, 6061 aluminum, or 316 or 304 stainless steel. So we actually had to develop, uh, we found valves that uh, met our requirement, but the housing was the wrong type of aluminum. So we actually had to change the valve housing into the correct type of aluminum to make those valves work. There's so many of those little things that go into like making all this work. You know, I, I think for a lot of people, when they see a rocket launch, it it, it looks almost like it's too easy. It, it looks like from from the outside when you're not the one doing it, you're like, oh, you know, countdown. They 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 launched it off. Um, but there's so many little things that make the simplicity of it work in real life. Uh, One of my managers had a really good quote about that, and it was, um, from the outside, you're always wondering, how come these things never fly on time? But then when you're on the inside, you're like, I'm amazed the thing flies at all. Um, Because there's just so many parts, even with simple things, there's just so many parts. And, you know, we've worked with stuff where a hairline crack... um, could cause issues because with the aerospace industry, your safety margins are so low to maximize, you know, payload Mm. that, um, you know, we can't have defects that we don't know how they're going to affect. So if we find a crack or something, you know, we have to go through with analysts and review boards of, okay, if we polish this out, 
is this thing still going to work or did we remove too much material and now we have to start again? So right. it, it, it gets super complicated. Yeah, totally. Um, I, I have a book um, on my desk. It's, it's over there right now, but uh, uh, it's like uh, an aerospace manufacturing guide. And like you, mm-hmm. you flip through that thing and you, you realize just how, how down to the granular structure, all, all of the, the details are down to the, the literal microstructure of the metal is, is controlled to, to a point. Yeah. So, so like things on SLS, um, uh, the component we're working on, um, you know, like if I'm working on this or, you know, something at home, you know, you go to Home Depot, you buy a bolt, Mm. um, with the project, uh, we're working on, it's like, okay, you have to find an approved supplier for this bolt because you can't have counterfeit bolts. That Mm. supplier has to give you full traceability from where that bolt was made where did the material for that bolt get made? Was there a lot inspection on that bolt? So when we deliver this unit, that one bolt might have its own binder of paperwork to show, okay, this is where this bolt came from, and we are confident this bolt is going to work. It's, it's crazy how much goes into to all of it. Um, it's it's mind-blowing really. Um, so let's, let's, uh, let's, let's switch up a little bit. I want to ask, so you are working now where you are now. Um, you went to school for aerospace engineering. Was yeah, there? So I, so kind of how I got to where I'm at right now is, um, so yeah, I graduated from the university of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. Um, I got my bachelor's degree in, uh, the, 2007, and then I did three semesters for my master's in 2008. Uh, so my official diploma is a master's in aerospace engineering with an emphasis on fluid mechanics and rocket propulsion. I think rocket scientist sounds better. I think so. <laughs> um, so then uh, how I ended up here was uh, I was an intern for Masson Space Systems out in Mojave, California. Uh, working on their vertical takeoff and landing vehicles. And right after graduation, I sent a cover letter to this small company, Orion Propulsion, here in Huntsville. And uh, right about that time, they just got the contract for a vertical takeoff, vertical landing vehicle uh, prototype for NASA, um, the lunar lander test bed or the cold test article. Um, So it was this air-powered lander. Mm. And uh, they needed someone to do the testing and stuff. So here comes my cover letter out of the blue. Like, oh, yeah, I literally just did this in Mojave. So uh, that's how I got my job here. And then Orion got sold to Dynetics. And then that's uh, so I've been at the same company for over 11 years now. Mm. Mm. And that uh, that exchange of, of company to company when you don't really change your job, that, that seems to be a, a pretty constant uh, in the uh, the, the monopolies of, of the aerospace industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've been working with the same core. Uh, I work with a very great group of people and mm-hmm. it's been that same core of uh, people from Orion to uh, Dianetics. To- oh, that's, that's really interesting because uh, I you don't think many people in many other industries have that opportunity where the team gets to stay together. Did, did you have, um, did you have a mentor or something, someone you looked up to, while you were doing this or maybe before this? Uh, not particularly. Um, my experience is, uh, they ask you to do something and then you need to go find out how to do it. So mm-hmm. like, uh, the peroxide lander, 
um, it's more or less, all right, are you going to do the homework to figure out how to make this work? Um, because we're all, you know, we are a private company. We are incredibly busy. So um, you're kind of expected, at least my experience is you are to carry your own weight. Now, yeah, I've had, uh, I've worked with people, you know, had to show me the ropes of the test site and stuff, and I'm showing some new people the ropes of the test site, but a lot of it is self-learning. And is that something that, that's come nat- natural to you over the years, or is that you just someone that just likes to pick things up? Uh, pretty much. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm like the only rocket scientist in my family, and uh, mm. my high school wasn't exactly big on, you know, a lot of people learning science and stuff. So, Mm. um, I would actually go ahead in the science textbooks, learning the stuff that we weren't even supposed to be getting to in the class program. Mm. And uh, a lot of the stuff I'm actually, uh, between like, you know, rockets, I would, uh, basically taught myself how to build them through trial and error. Mm. And, um, yeah, even a lot of the prop building stuff I do now is a lot of trial and error. Um, just researching online how people have done it. Yeah, um, that's online has been a huge source for me to to learn. Uh, yeah, it's such a and there's so many people out there that are willing to share now. I mean, I, that wasn't the case. So I'm I'm a child of the '90s. Um, you know, with a family that were immigrants that came over here. So it's it's not. Um, the the idea of being a rocket scientist or the idea of you know just going and, and picking it up it just wasn't you know it was like hey we've got a restaurant we're gonna work we're gonna make a living um mm-hmm. so I, I i relate to you in that way that you know i'm the only one um that is in the family doing this kind of thing but um yeah that's that's interesting did you have a favorite class uh in in school or uh i always really like physics mm-hmm. uh yeah, high school, I had a really good uh, phys- physics teacher, uh, Mr. Capriotti, and then uh, high, uh, my shop uh, teacher, uh, Mr. Knapp, uh, yeah. was a nice guy, too. Um, in college, yeah, there were plenty of classes I, I enjoyed. It was a little bit of everything, like statics and statics, yeah, statics, physics, electrical engineering came in really handy later. Um fluid mechanics uh uh i'll mention the two i absolutely hated were uh control (laughs) theory control theory and computer programming which Mm -hmm. when we talk to bb8 we'll get into that headache (laughs) um but the other but honestly the single biggest thing that was good for me in college was uh i ended up in a fraternity oh um i uh (laughs) so u of i we have this thing called uh so I was a very um, introverted uh, kid. Uh, like my grade school, I was that you know kid everybody picked on because mm. um, I liked learning and stuff, and that wasn't cool enough. Yeah. Um, and I had a really small high school um, where my graduating class was like 138 people. Mm. Um, so you know, like you would go to school, you really wouldn't talk to too many people. And then, um, you would go home and build rockets with uh, star Wars playing in the background. <laughs> Cause you know, back in my day, we only had three of them and we just watched those over and over till the <laughs> tape broke. <laughs> um, but, um, no, it, it was kind of an accident. Uh, U of I, uh, we have, uh, this thing called, 
uh, University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. Mm-hmm. Um, we have this thing called Quad Day with all the student organizations. And uh, I had the most gaudy Star Wars tie-dye shirt you could possibly picture. And I was looking for the sci-fi group. Mm-hmm. And then um, I stopped by this one house. Uh, they had their booth set up, uh, Kappa Delta Row. And they were like, oh, yeah, we, we are in top 10 grades, um, you know, uh, community outreach and stuff. And uh, one of the brothers, uh, Justin, just started talking to me because I think this is right when Knights of the Old Republic uh, came oh, out. Okay. Uh, yeah, one of, one of the PC games. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he invited me over for ple- uh, one of their pledge events. I'm like, well, I'll just see if Animal House is true or whatnot. Right. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, because I, I actually spent most of the senior year in high school saying I'm not going to join a fraternity. It's a bunch of drunks and I don't drink yep. and uh, kept going, really got to know the guys. And um, yeah, they gave me a bid. I talked it over with my parents and they said, yeah, go for it. And uh, those guys really helped me get out of my shell and learn how to like talk and, you know, not only just work hard in college, but have fun, like go out and do stuff. And that was something I really didn't think I was going to do going into college. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of people talk about college for their classes and stuff, but yeah, frat was definitely the single most important thing to happen to me in the school. Yep. I, that, that's so crazy. I didn't know that. Uh, I also uh, joined a fraternity uh, theta Chi at uh, Worcester Mm -hmm. Polytech and yeah, it, it changed it, it was what kept me there, honestly. Yeah. The, the studying and the, the course load was so difficult, and I was so ill-prepared. So just to, just to give context, um, it, my school, kind of similar where the science and math wasn't taken very seriously. Literally, we would have lost accreditation for the mm-hmm. state. It's about two years after I graduated. Um, so that's, that's always great. Um, and I had doubled up on uh, math and science the, the year after. So I was felt in a good place, but then I realized I'd go to this place and the course load and everyone else has been in robotics clubs. And so flew by me, but having the, having the guys fraternity brothers there, uh, it, like you said, uh, social interaction, like just being able to talk to people, have a conversation, hang out, like mm-hmm. those, those skills are so important for people in such high technical things. Like I, it, it balances you. Uh, and it, it kind of gives you a little, not, I want to say an edge, but it, it just makes you more relatable. I think. Yeah. Um, that's why. Yeah. And that, and that's a lot of engineers. I know it's have a lot, have trouble talking to, you know, muggles. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, the frat, because also they were one of the few like first groups of people like oh yeah i'm a geek i make rockets and costumes and they're like dude that's awesome and yeah, like, I, right. i'm like huh i wasn't expecting that mm-hmm. um because yeah let me put it this way like when i left high school i was like completely all right i'm ready to get out of here peace out y'all um i cried during my senior speech at the frat i did not want to go yeah Man, uh, well, that's magical. I'm so so glad you shared that. Thank you. Um, mm-hmm. Let's let's jump into the <laughs> the elephant in the room or the R two D two in the room stand, sitting next to you. Um, <laughs> you got to tell us how you got into prop making and making droids and just all all this magic that you do after work. 
All right. So it's, it's kind of a weird thing. Um, so basically what happened was, again, I started building rockets when I was 11. And mm. that, was, that was my hobby. I knew I wanted to be an aerospace engineer. Well, I wanted to be an astronaut, but a couple other things stopped that. Um, and uh, what happened, but so going even back farther than that, um, I always loved Halloween. Halloween was my favorite holiday growing up. Because um, also it was uh, my birthday's October 1st. It's actually the same birthday as NASA. Um, so, you know, you had October 1st of a birthday, then October 30th of candy, then you had Thanksgiving, (laughs) which was the boring one. And then you had Christmas. Um, and Halloween, uh, we would always make our costumes. Um, so, uh, back in, uh, kindergarten, one of my first costumes was, uh, uh, we were really big in the Ghostbusters. I grew up Mm. with the uh, cartoon show and uh you know we had one of those uh blue plastic packs with the foam noodle and uh my mom made me the uh jumpsuit and made like the little felt uh no ghost patch and then uh the next year i was really into the rocketeer um mm, which movie. is yeah it's a great movie um um and uh i think it's the first movie i actually ended up seeing in the theater mm. um and uh, my dad made the, uh, I had the Rocketeer pajamas, <laughs> and my dad made the helmet out of an old football helmet and some uh, uh, metal sheeting. My dad did construction when I was little. Mm. And then uh, he also made the um, jetpacks out of uh, two soda bottles and some bar. Um, and, like, I would wear that thing all the time. <laughs> um, so when I got to... So I graduated high school in 2003, um, and this was so. This is right in the middle of the prequel uh, era of uh, Star Wars, mm-hmm. and uh, this was also I was getting internet for like the first time, um, and uh, I started learning about these uh, people who do like Star Wars costumes uh, for the charity functions, and there was a group particular website called the dented helmet and it's uh with all the boba fett stuff and i was like i'm gonna do Django fett for halloween um because also my freshman year you know we had a little bit of money from you know student loans and stuff so it's like i had more than 50 bucks for the first time (laughs) um so i uh was like you know i always loved halloween so i got a ruby's helmet i read how to do the armor out of plastic i made the jetpack out of paper mache and uh took that on halloween and it was like i was a rock star everybody like wanted to know how the thing was made they wanted my picture um girls actually were talking to me for once um and then, like, during college, I just started topping myself off every year. So it was like, all right, did Django Fett. Then, like, uh, V for Vendetta came out. So I, uh, you know, made the hat out of foam. I got the Guy Fox mask. I made the daggers out of, like, plywood. Nice. Uh, I made the cape. Um, you know, I, I stole my mom's uh, sewing machine. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, so I was topping myself off. And then... Um, so that's basically what happened is rocketry became my career. Um, I started getting into the costuming stuff as a hobby. Mm. And 
during college, this was just for Halloween. Like, um, I knew Dragon Con existed back then, mm-hmm. um, but uh, there weren't all the mini cons we have now. Where you know, like today, well, not today, but you know, before right. in the old world, right. um, <laughs> you know, I would be going to a convention about once a month. Mm. Um, you know, because but there's so many of them now, um, and uh, when I moved down to Huntsville. Um, I moved into an apartment and I found out the guy above me, uh, David Reamer actually was 501st. Uh, so he wow. did like, um, he's a very, uh, talented artist. So, uh, I'll give him the plug, uh, double zero effects. Um, and, uh, we and him started building to get stuff together under the, uh, banner two story props. So we did, uh, we did a group of Ghostbusters, uh, actually that, pack up there oh sweet um awesome so that's a fiberglass one we did in 2009 um so we did four of them um and then we did uh we did halo odst so yes uh dave uh sculpted all of that and then i helped with the molding and then we did a couple other projects together like Doff punk um and then we did a couple dead mouse heads uh for his bachelor party um because we went to the ultra music festival um yeah i was his best man so you know uh closed down miami world famous djs but i think i won on best man duties (laughs) (laughs) and um so, but then we realized we also need our own individual names for, you know, like, uh, portfolio reasons. Um, so then I used, when I started going under the banner, A7L props, cause, um, so kind of to transfer to the, the spacesuit side of things. Um, so when I first started, uh, my first big project uh, when I moved down here was we did the Ghostbuster uh, group for Halloween. And um, then the next year I did a subject Delta from Bioshock two. So we sculpted the helmet, we did the drill arm. um, It actually spun. And basically I was trying to compete at dragon con every year. Cause I'm like, all right, this is, uh, one of those things, like, I want to get best in show one of these yeah. things. Um, so we did that. Then uh, Delta uh, um, Delta got an honorable mention. And uh, the next year, I got introduced to Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Um, so I built a Dalek, a full-size Dalek. And um, the following year, I'm like, okay, how do I top off a Dalek? And one of my dream projects was always I wanted a spacesuit. Um, so I decided, okay, I think I, I'm far enough that now's the time to try it. So I built a A7L spacesuit. Um, I made mine um, particularly be Jim Lovell's because uh, he's kind of a hero of mine. He's actually uh, one of the reasons I got um, got uh, Eagle Scout. Mm. Um um, 
Yeah, there was an ad. I, I tried to find the magazine in my stash because I know I have it, but there was an ad where it's like, uh, no one said to Jim Lovell, like, hey, you look like a nice guy. Do you want to go to the moon? Mm. And it was an ad for the Boy Scouts. And that was one of the things that kept me going because he's an Eagle. Neil Armstrong's an Eagle Scout. Uh, Jim Lovell's an Eagle Scout. So that was one of the things that pushed me to get my Eagle Scout. So kind of that was the hardest part of the Jim Lovell costume was earning the stinking Eagle Scout. <laughs> um, so I built the suit and... That was, for a while, that was like the biggest thing I built um, in terms of notoriety because um, Jim Lovell actually sent me a letter complimenting it. Um, That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I have that framed in my office. Um, Adam Savage from Mythbusters uh, stalked my thread on the RPF because um, he came to Huntsville for the Behind the Myths tour. And mm -hmm. the local Huntsville makers had a bunch of stuff on display. Uh, one of the things was we have a group here that is building a full-size uh, Millennium Falcon cockpit. Oh, whoa. Yeah, uh, the full-scale Falcon project. And, yeah, my friends are interesting. Um, <laughs> and uh, I walk in with my moon helmet, and Adam Savage is like, wait, what? Because, you know, he's big in the spacesuits. Mm -hmm. And I'm walking him through it, and he said... Uh, Oh, I know this suit. I've been following your uh, build online on the RPF. <laughs> okay, Adam Savage is stalking me on the internet. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the, the suit was great. I loved it. Plus, you do get giddy because when you put it on and you hear the echo in the helmet, I mean, it's not a real suit. It was basically a glorified uh, sleeping bag. Mm. Um, and that one didn't have any, like, locking wrist rings or anything. Mm. Um, but it was, uh, you know, you felt awesome in it. And um, the only problem with, with wearing it long term was the neck ring was a little too far forward. So my head would sit like this. Oh, I see. Yeah, that would get. Yeah. Yeah. And it got to the point I couldn't wear it. Well, the Space and Rocket Center here um, heard about it and they actually bought the suit from me. Wow. because. You, because you can't move real spacesuits because of ITAR restrictions. They're still classified at, um, under the, uh, uh, I forget the phrasing, but yeah, you, there's a lot of paperwork to move them. Um, so they wanted one that they could put on display for like traveling exhibits and stuff. Mm. Um, so yeah, that, that's why the only thing I got left of the moon suit is I have the flag I made. Um, because part of my masquerade skit was kind of reenact for Dragon Con that year was reenacting the scene from Apollo 13 where Jim Lovell's uh, walking on the moon. Mm. So, you know, I put the flag down and I did the run the fingers through the dirt thing on stage. Cool. <laughs> wow, that must that must have felt validating to have the uh, the that place buy it from you thinking that it's good enough for them to, to have it on, on display. Oh, it, it was very humbling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. Okay. Um, so let's talk more about, yeah, let's go to R2D2. All right. So, uh, R2, um, I've always wanted R2D2 since I was eight and I didn't even see the movie till I was 12. Um, yeah, we, First time I ever saw Star Wars, Day After Christmas, 96. Uh, me, my mom, and my brother just watched all three of them in a row. Oh, that's um, 
in one marathon and then, special, <laughs> and then the special editions came out like that next month. Wow. Um, but, um, so our two here was kind of a, so going back to the moon suit, when I first started this as a, you know, adult with disposable income, um, I was very adamant on competing and making things people haven't seen before. Hmm. Uh, like the, you know, you don't see too many Daleks floating around Dragon Con. I think there's like, one or two more now mm. um and the big daddy suits uh you know are much rarer than the splicers and stuff mm. um and uh the moon suits were rare for a little while um but then like the next dragon con a bunch of people were showing up as astronauts <laughs> um <laughs> the uh but r2 he was always like on my wish list but i kept like well there's thousands of them like when you mm. go to dragon con there's like a whole little parade of r2d2s mm. um and what finally prompted me to start building him was uh back in 2014 i was buying a house mm. well this house um and i didn't have time to build anything for competition so i started uh finally getting the parts i needed from the r2 builders club so there's mm. no one kit you can build you can buy to build an r2d2 mm. but various members you know like if someone has the mold for the um hologram projector you know they'll sell castings and stuff so you know we all kind of pool our resources you know like one guy has the metal equipment to spin the aluminum dome mm. uh, he'll do a run like every now and then mm. uh, so it is a lot if you're trying to figure out what to build your droid out of. Hmm. So I started buying the part, and then they were just sitting for a while. And then, um, so I'm going to back up here for a little bit. Sure. Uh, going to conventions prior to 2015 was a very, so I started going to conventions um, when I was 24. So I start my first convention was, I believe, 2010. Uh, so this is, you know, years after Revenge, Revenge of the Sith, um, Clone Wars just premiered in like 2008. Mm -hmm. uh, but prior to 2015 was a weird time for Star Wars because it was um, there was no middle ground anymore. Either you never saw the movies or you like read every single book. Yeah. And, you know, knew like serial number on Han Solo's gun. Right. Um so I actually was consciously staying away from Star Wars stuff for a while because it was like I'm I love the movies, they are a big part of my life, but I have not gone and read any of the old legacy stuff. Yeah. Um but again, I want an R2D2. Well, the day after Thanksgiving 2014 was the trailer teaser trailer for uh Force Awakens. Mm. And that was the big light switch because uh that was all right, I'm getting this thing done because I want to do the stuff with the movie premieres in the children's hospitals. So I spent the next five months actually cutting, cutting all the parts, putting them together. So basically what he is, is he's a aluminum dome. The skin is styrene plastic. Hmm. Um, and it's actually hand cut with a hobby knife. And then he's got a uh, plywood skeleton. Hmm. Um, 
So this is kind of a mid-range droid because um, some of them can be built out of just pure styrene. And mm-hmm. then I know people who uh, make them completely out of aluminum with all the panels wow. that open up. Uh, you know, some people have the stun gun. Uh, some people make them walk. And I'm like, I just need him to roll, play music, and turn his head. That's all I need him to do. That's true. <laughs> um, and so he was ready in May uh, that year. Uh, so I took him to a few conventions, but I'm like, all right, he's going to be like most projects. He's going to do his year of cons. And then, you know, he'll get, you know, because again, I go to Dragon Con and you see an army of these things. So you mm. kind of take for granted. Well, when you go to the smaller cons or, you know, you start doing non-con events and you see people just light up because they don't even know these exist. They think right. you know, Disney owns all of them. And it's like, they don't even know these fan made ones exist. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he did a few conventions, but then the day the movie came out, we visited children's of Alabama in, uh, uh, Birmingham. And, uh, he met the patients there and uh, that was the big, like, okay, we got to do this more often. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I was crying really bad because it was, uh, one was just so stereo. Like, people think I'm making this up because it just sounds so cliche, but uh, there was a kid. He had, his head was in a bandage, his arm was in a cast, and uh, he had the, you know, the IV rack. Mm. I, I mean, think stereotypical sick kid. You had this kid. Yeah. And he literally hugged the droid and said, this is the best day ever. <sighs> and yeah, I just kind of like lost it. <laughs> how, how, how often do you get to do this? I mean, obviously in the world. So the the hospital. Yeah. The hot. Well, in the old world. Um, <laughs> so he was getting out about like two times a month. Wow. Uh, so between, yeah, him and Kylo Ren uh, with the 501st, like usually like every other weekend or so, like we're either doing a charity walk or a car show or a convention or a fundraiser mm-hmm. or um, he's actually been in um, four weddings now. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, he's been a, a ring bearer. A fl- he's been a ring bearer and a flower girl. Um, and then there was one that we just crashed the reception. That's so like so great. Yeah, they they did the you know the sappy dances and then they played the imperial march because it was a geek themed wedding. Oh, and man. then yeah, so it was a geek themed wedding actually in the uh, Davidson Center under the uh, Saturn Five. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, they played the Imperial March. So we come out with R2, Vader, <laughs> a legion of stormtroopers, and the bride just completely lost lost it. Like, oh my God, this is the greatest thing ever. It's so crazy. Oh my God. Um, just because I think some people may not know, could you explain to the folks who, who the 501st is? I'm aware of them, but I think you do. Uh, the 501st is a professional um, costuming organization. Uh, uh, it's completely nonprofit. We don't make any money doing this. And basically, it's people who make uh, film-accurate uh, costumes, particularly the bad guys, uh, like Vader, Stormtroopers. And basically, what we do is um, we just kind of promote Star Wars, and uh, we try to help uh, 
organizations best we can. So like um, charities and hospitals that want to, you know, surprise their patrons with appearances by Darth Vader and stormtroopers, uh, they get a hold of us and then we come by and, uh, you know, we try to put smiles on faces and help raise money when we can. I I love it. I've been following the 501st for it feels like at least a year now. And I know they've been around for much longer than that, but, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's so cool what you guys do. Um, and the, the, the con life is, is so interesting. I'm, I'm working, working my way on, on different things. I've started going to them. Uh, obviously the new world, we'll see how that works out. Um, I expect the first big one will, will be packed with people, um, just wanting to get back out. I think, um, uh, we all have our own little drinking game on what's going to happen with this, particularly <laughs> with, uh, with Dragon Con. Um, I think when they do open up, there's a couple smaller cons, um, particularly in my circle of cons, like the Huntsville Pop Culture Con and um, Atlanta Comic Con and uh, even Momocon, I think will be the first real guinea pigs of... Um, uh the distancing um because let's be honest i've gotten con crud at cons plenty of times um Mm. you know even star wars celebration uh one the two years i went one year i got food poisoning and then um last year yeah last year uh all four of us that were in the hotel room all got the flu um and uh so you know con crud is real um People have been wearing masks at cons even before now. I just think we're going to be seeing more of that. Um, and particularly more outfits that cover, you know, everything. Yeah. Like uh, one of the uh, jokes I've been mentioning to uh, some of my friends is so uh, my character in the 501st is I'm actually one of the Kylo Ren's. Mm. And um, I, uh, you know, so I have the helmet. And I've actually been trying to uh, get some friends who are good with wigs and stuff to help me with the wig um, so I can start doing, like, cons and events without the helmet. Because the the helmet you get used to, but you can't see down. Mm. And plus, if you're trying to socialize with people and they can't see you, it gets kind of awkward. Yeah. But, you know, now moving forward, it's like, yeah, I guess I'm keeping the helmet on. (laughs) Um, Because I actually... (laughs) I actually went grocery shopping two weeks ago and, you know, there, everyone should be, you know, everyone should be wearing their mask in public. So, you know, I put my, you know, cloth mask underneath, but then I'm like, you know what, I'm going to just going to see what happens. I put the Kylo Ren helmet on and went in the grocery store. Um, got some interesting looks, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it was a, it was good to see some smiling. Cause yeah, like at this point in time, we should have, you know, like the big one we're missing out is uh, May the 4th is going to be on mm-hmm. Monday. And uh, so this is actually the first time in four or five years now that uh, I'm not heading down to the children's hospital uh, with the droid to do a meet and greet. Mm. Uh, have, have they tried to, because this has been the really interesting thing about all of this is, is finding the small ways through the technology that we have today, which we didn't have you know, the last time something like this hit. Um, have they reached out about doing something digitally or, or maybe even, I know it's tough. It's not the same, but. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, not with our garrison. 
um, about that. Um, I'm assuming we'll, when things clear up, we'll try to figure something out. We were there recently because um, they actually got the movie um, January 10th. Oh. Um, yeah, so before the DVD came out, so they got the movie like two weeks or so after the premiere. Hmm. Um, so we actually went there for that to uh, meet and greet a bu- meet and greet the patients and the doctors, hand out a bunch of coloring books and stuff uh, before they got to see the movie. That's great. That's awesome. Um, I, I, it's going to be really interesting how the rest of this plays out. But I, I love I love that you're calling it the old world because it feels like that. It really does. Um, so, uh, one of the things I want to talk to you about was, uh, BB-8. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned to me that it was one of the first working ones, correct? It is one of, one of the first, it's not the first. So, okay. uh, bb eights kind of a interesting story. Um, so again, I built him again. I started like really in earnest building him, um, uh, the day after the teaser trailer came out. Mm. So when his first event happened, um, BB-8 was already a known thing Mm. of, okay, there is this little soccer ball in this new movie. And uh, people were all trying to figure out how to build them. And what I kept getting was, so people knew me for my Dalek, and then they saw this one. So I've kind of been the robot guy here for a long time. And uh, everywhere I took R2, I kept getting the questions about, are you building BB-8? Is someone building BB-8? Is BB-8 possible? Is BB-8 a practical effect? BB-8, BB-8, BB-8. Um, and at first I was like, you know what? I'm not going to build a BB-8, at least not right now, because I literally just finished R2-D2. And uh, I'm just going to kind of be a, con- you know, stay on the forums and see, you know, what people come up with. And, um, at this point, I didn't have a 3D printer, mm. and um, I was kind of a little disheartened because every all the topics weren't about the physics of the ball. It was, what are my printer settings for the dome? Mm. And you would see a bunch of people would print the stuff, and then they wouldn't work on the inside. So it's, here's my static BB-8, and I'm like you don't need the printer to make this work. Right. So um, my droid Weir, uh, I name them all after aerospace figures. So this is Goddard, um, BB-8's Weir. The Dalek's name is Braun. And then uh, Chopper is named after Parsons. Because uh, nothing says kids show like Jack Parsons. <laughs> um, I'm waiting to see how many people in your podcast get that joke. Um <laughs> So, um, so I ended up, my BB eights kind of, uh, unique is, um, there's, there's only one 3d print part on him, which is the, uh, the little eye detail. Mm. Cause basically what happened was, um, we identified, uh, there was a company that made the 20 inch half inch thick, uh, polycarbonate ball mm. that you could use to make the exterior for the hamster mm-hmm. ball. Um, then another gentleman, uh, Corey Pacione, on the Builders Club came out with decals and was selling the set. So I picked one up for my eventual build. Mm. And then my friend Diana uh, gave me a 3D print of the head, but was like too heavy to do anything with. Mm. So I already had like the entire exterior sitting 
in my living room. It's like, fine. Um, (laughs) So I made the head out of fiberglass and then I actually designed the ball, my drive system out of, uh, again, I didn't have a CAD program at this time. Mm. So I actually designed it with graph paper, a calculator, and then I made mock-ups out of MDF just to see Mm. if it fit in the ball. And then I built him out of plywood and test drove him while the uh, ball was still clear. And um, yeah, so he, so the movie came out December of 2015. I had a rolling BB-8 by May of 28. Uh, yeah, 2015. So BB-8 was rolling by May of 2016. Wow. Wild. So, um <laughs> Take take me. What was what was the challenging part of of getting BB-8 out fully operational? Uh, so first off, that was a big thing. He's not fully operational. So a lot of the peop, a lot of the big hangups is BB-8 has a lot of freedom of motion. So his head can you know tilt, hmm. and rotate, um, and um, I was like, all right, I'm scrapping all of that. He's going to roll, and his head's going to be able to look left and right. That's it. He's not going to tilt his head. I just need him to roll. Um, so I simplified him by that. Biggest, the two biggest problems were a try to shove everything into a beach ball. Um, cause yeah, he's a little too heavy for me to just plop here. Cause he's about 80 pounds. Okay. Um, cause he's got a lot of ballast there for the pendulum. Mm. Um, so, yeah, fitting everything in there in a round object, because like with R2, there's a fixed point where I can base everything off of BB-8. There's no point because it's a rolling ball. So right. it's like there's no good starting point. Mm. Um, the other problem was you had to program a stability loop in him. And remember, my two worst subjects in school were computer programming and control theory. So I had to program a proportional integral derivative loop into an Arduino. Um, So first off, I've never done Arduino programming before. So I had to get the, you know, introduction to Arduino and actually go through like, okay, how do I make the LED light up? How do Mm -hmm. I make the LED blink? How do I make him read a switch and work my way up to the eventual drive system? And I borrowed a lot from many of the other builders too, particularly, um, I forget his name, but X Robot UK on uh, yes. YouTube. He's great. Yeah. Yeah. So he published his files for his uh, stability loop on his uh, version two BB-8, I believe. Mm. I kind of borrowed a good chunk oh, of his. Code. I was watching him as he was building uh, that version. That that's cool. That's very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I borrowed him, but then like, yeah, it was a very uh, rage-inducing process. So I, I tell most people working on. Uh, BB actually did a better job making me Kylo Ren than him BB-8, which is actually kind of true in the grand scheme of things. <laughs> Man, I, I want to ask, so when you jumped into Arduino, I know so many people who talk about whether it's Raspberry Pi or Arduino, about mm-hmm. that they want to do it. What was your process? Uh, I'm, you had the help, obviously, of, of, of the maker community, which is, I think, a, a huge thing to tap into. But what was your approach? Because I think so many people get paralysis by analysis of getting involved in something like that. And I, I've always seen having small projects with a clear goal has been helpful with learning that stuff. What was it for you? I think the big thing is having a project 
do you want to do? Because mm. um, that's a big thing. Like, if you just gave me the Arduino, like, years ago, the um, uh, best example I can actually give you is the 3D printer. Mm. Uh, so I did put off getting a 3D printer for years. Um, I built a BB-8 without a printer. I built uh, the Proton Pack without a printer. Uh, Mark Watney, my original, uh, when he was originally built, um, which we'll get into, um, he didn't have 3D printed parts originally. Mm. And I would try, basically every year I got to this point of, okay, either I can spend the next few months uh, and the money to go get the printer and learn how to do it. Cause I'm literally going to be starting from nothing to figure out how this works, or I can find a workaround mm. and years. I would just find the workaround like BB eight. I found, you know, would use the wood. Um, a lot of my stuff is fiberglass. And, but then I finally hit, uh, about two years ago, I finally hit this every project on my wish list. I had to have the printer because at this point it was like, okay, I really want to do a new BB-8 with a pendulum drive. I need the precision. Mm. I want to do the Mars Pathfinder. I need the precision. Uh, if I ever rebuild my moon suit, I need the you know precision because I'm going to need to do the locking bearings and right. stuff. Um, and I finally hit the point like, okay, I now have a reason to force myself to go through the pain of learning how to use a 3D printer. Yep. So that having a project that was like, okay, what's going to make me do this? But even then, um, it was also, I got the printer and I knew like, okay, my first project, I don't want to be load bearing, like no mm. robot because I don't know how strong filament is. Fair. Yep. Um, so I'm like, okay, what can I build? That's not load bearing. And I actually went back and built the, uh, Rocketeers rocket pack. Oh, cool. Um, because that was something I could uh, do with extrusions and revolutions rather, uh, I say easily, but compared to a lot of other props with organic shapes, it was something that been my skill level. Because mm. before two years ago, I hadn't touched 3D modeling since college. Okay. Um, and that kind of forced me to learn the 3D printing stuff. Mm. So like with Arduino, yeah, BB-8 was that thing that prompted me, okay, I have to learn how to do this. Yeah. Um, but then those lessons I've actually used in like my new Proton Pack, um, I actually used Arduino to control all the lights and sounds. Mm. Um, the Pathfinder I'm building in the garage is going to use the Arduino to control its steering cool. uh, because you have to have this differential thing. Mm. Um and then, um, yeah, the, uh, I've actually had to use it at work. Uh, the Arduino, we had to build a valve driver and how do we control the timing? Well, here I can set up two relays with an Arduino and we mm. can set up the valve timing. In fact, it's actually been very funny how much this hobby has been helping my day job. Isn't it fascinating? Uh, <laughs> yes. Um, cause there's been several instances, like we either need a, we need a fit check article to see if this piece is going to fit in there or to show our customer, um, during a design review, here's how big this thing is. So we would either print, I would either print the thing or, uh, one was we had to make this mock-up out of foam because the machine shop was like, well, if we're going to make it out of aluminum, it's going to take, you know, weeks and weeks and weeks. And I'm like, I can give you the same thing in a week for about 200 bucks. Right. Um, <laughs> so we did that. And even, uh, 
one that came up recently was uh, we had to inspect uh, threads on a thing mm-hmm. to make sure they weren't damaged. Well, you know, you can't get a tool in there. Right. So uh, what we did is, uh, you know, I make all these molds and stuff. So we actually use casting rubber, put it in there. And then we had a negative that you could put on optical comparator. That's the reverse engineering of it is, is awesome. Uh, yeah, that the, I've, I've found a, so for me, uh, it was really 3d printing jumping into that. Um, mm-hmm. And that has opened up a whole spectrum of like, uh, of how it, it helps with the day job. It helps with everything else around. I mean, we, if the podcast where we are, you know, 3d printing is the dragon two. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, just good to explain to people. And um, wow, that is, that is very cool. Um, so, well, let, let, let me just say it's it's been an absolute pleasure um, so far talking with you. Um, I want to I want to go to the next step. I want to talk about Mark Watney's. Outfit. Yeah, let's 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 discuss the challenges with that and kind of where where did that come from? Was it just I, the next spacesuit or? Okay, so this is what happened. Um, so uh, Moonsuit happened in 2013, um, Soul in 2014, and honestly, I thought at that point I'm like. I'm done competing. How the hell do I top a moon suit? Because, you know, the big pro- the, the, the projects you get the best reception to are the ones that you don't see a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also has to be something most people will recognize. Mm. So, you know, like everybody knows what uh, an astronaut suit looks like. It's the same thing like with R2-D2. Even if you haven't seen Star Wars, right. you know what this is. <laughs> um, and... Um, what happened was, uh, so in 2015, uh, I remember, you know, the funny thing is someone mentioned the book to me before I knew the book existed and they're like, Oh, you got to read this book. It's about a guy like growing potatoes on Mars. And I'm like, that sounds like stupid. Um, and, uh, then I saw the trailer for the movie. I'm like, Oh, okay. This looks this looks good. Mm. And, um, I read the book, um, uh, cause I was debating where to see the movie first or read the book first, but, mm-hmm. uh, we were taking a bunch of flights for work, um, at this time. Cause we had to go to another facility for some testing. And, uh, I read the book and I loved the book, um, because it's, uh, it kind of makes me feel like I could be a superhero because it's like a lot of astronaut stories. Mm. They're the most dry, boring people or the story itself is always one of these like, Oh, we're on a mission to save humanity. And the Martian is literally it's no, it's this guy is stuck here and he's trying to figure out how to live. Yeah. And it's like, we're not going to, you know, obviously they had to take a few, uh, pet peeves, you know, like with the storm, they had to, you know, right. exaggerate a bit because they had to have a reason why he's there by himself. Right. right. Um, but, you know, like where he's, you know, doing the simple math and stuff, it's like, dude, th- this is awesome. Like, I don't read a lot of fiction books because mm-hmm. um, usually I'll just, you know, I'm reading like either science books or something to learn like a property or something. Mm-hmm. I have reread or listened to the martian audiobook at least like eight times now wow okay um in fact usually when i drive home to visit my parents it's like 
Oh man, I got Audible. What am I going to listen to? <laughs> All right, Martian again. <laughs> uh, I have listened to Artemis. Artemis is really good. I just have to do it the second time. <laughs> um, but um, so read the book. The movie came out, uh, actually, movie came out like two days after my birthday. So I had dragged everybody um, to go see it. And um, one of the things that held me up with a lot of spacesuits is the neck ring. Um, mm. Because uh, like an Apollo suit, the bubble helmet sits on the neck ring and you freely move your head in it. So I was able to do that with magnets. Um, a lot of your other suits, like the the suit from, you know, the shuttle escape suit, the uh, Mercury suits, um, and even if we go into fiction suits, like the uh, uh, interstellar suits, mm -hmm. they have a locking neck ring, but the helmet has to turn. Mm -hmm. And I, without a 3D printer, there was no way I could do this because it either have to be I get a guy to machine it for me or mm -hmm. there was just no reason. So that like held me back from doing a lot of spacesuit projects. Same thing with the wrist rings. So the Martian suit um, suddenly was super plausible because the way the costume's designed, there's no actual locking neck ring. Mm. Uh, the helmet uh, actually just sits on your head. Um, and then, you know, there's some fake, you know, Hollywood gasket stuff to right. connect, but there's no neck ring. So it's like, okay, there's no engineering holdup for me to do this. Mm. Um, and plus, again, I really love the movie and the suit looked technical enough for, okay, I have something to compete with again. Yeah. Which also added to the fact why I wasn't going to build BB-8 this year, that year, because it meant I'm now building both of these at the exact same time. Right. You know, uh, which is the whole irony of that whole who wore it better meme. Um so I start the suit. Um, I started off uh, the RPF. A bunch of people on the RPF identified the buckles and the uh, actual climbing harness that was worn. Mm. Um, so I, you know, started stockpiling those parts. Um, and uh, then what we did, what I did was I had duct tape mannequin for the torso and uh, basically used layers and layers of plastic to build up and sculpt what that torso had to look like. Mm. So I literally had uh, every printout of the trailer I could, like, tape to my wall, like, you yeah. know, like uh, the crazy Charlie Day conspiracy kind of thing. <laughs> um, yeah, just literally my whole wall was just covered with every angle. I could you know, a lot of explaining to do if someone walked in. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and, uh, I sculpted it and then I got to a point I had to mold it and then pull a casting so I could refine the sculpt into one final thing. Mm. And at this point I had a test piece. And then the way we did the jumpsuit was, uh, I made a mock-up of just white, uh, spandex, and uh, we put on the harness and the torso, and uh, my friend David, again, uh, Double Zero Effects, um, he came by and he drew the lines, like where all these panels needed to be. So then he took, we cut it apart, he took that, uh, and then um, he's a graphic designer, mm -hmm. and designed the suit, and then we had that custom printed on spandex. Uh, so that's how we made the undersuit. So it's kind of like, uh, 
uh, when you go to conventions and you see a lot of people with the Spider-Man suits and the uh, the diva from Overwatch, mm. that's how they. That's more or less what's going on with the suit. Uh, okay. Um, and then the suit itself was made out of a. Uh, yeah. So the torso section and the helmet uh, was made out of. Uh, so there's rubber molds, and then they're cast in fiberglass. Um, a lot of cosplayers today use EVA foam because it's cheap, it's easy to use. Um, I, I've seen some people do great stuff with it, but for me, I want it to feel real too. Um, you know, I don't want to be just the three-foot rule. I want to be the three-inch rule. Mm. Um, so it is a rigid component. Um, so I actually have the helmet here. Awesome. Oh, that looks, oh, that looks incredible. Thank you. Um, so the helmet, wow. uh, there are three different molds I had to make to make this work. So I sculpted this out of pink insulation foam, hmm. uh, like what you get at Home Depot, mm-hmm. and then uh, sculpted it to the shape, and then had to make a rough mold. One mold became the final uh, sculpt with, you know, all the rigid parts you see here so you know the hose connectors the you know um indents and stuff Mm. and then the other casting became the vacuum form buck so the visor is actually ptg and Mm. uh we have a two foot by two foot vacuum former so we actually heat this up and pull it over a buck to uh its shape so it actually fits the helmet perfectly um and then the uh headband is actually just one of those face shields mm, oh, um yes i see it now yeah yeah, yeah. i have one yeah <laughs> yeah exactly so cut one up uh bolted it in there and then we have a uh, cable so that we can plug it into a torso section so the lights turn on um so i've only actually built two of these one of them is my personal helmet and the other one is in andy weir's office that is so cool <laughs> yeah he, that... he... yeah go ahead uh, cause, uh, he found, uh, someone posted on Twitter, uh, my Watney costume from, uh, Dragon Con. And, uh, so I just dropped him a line and said, hi. And I'm like, Hey, did you get a helmet from the, um, production? And he's like, no. And I'm like, do you want one? <laughs> um, so yeah, I sent him a helmet. Um, that is, yeah, he's, so cool. he's one of those really cool celebrities. Cause I drop him a line every now and then. And he actually responds. Mm. So yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to hear see his uh, new book uh, coming out next year. Now, which which book's that? Uh, the Hail, it's Hail Mary something. It's uh, okay. they just announced like Ryan Gosling's already going to be in the movie. Okay. Um, I think the premise is it's a astronaut on a mission to save Earth. Hmm. Um, so yeah, that that's all I know about right now. Okay, that's 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 cool. I'll, I'll um when we put this podcast out, I'll I'll throw something on there so people can see what what the trailer looks like or something like that. Um, yeah, there's no there's no trailer yet. Like, yeah, the book is coming out, and then yeah, who knows when the movie's coming out? Right, right. That's fair. Um, I think one of the questions a lot of people are wondering is how do you find the time to manage how, when to do all the stuff? You have a day job. You do this on the side. Um, I've done my own version of it at here with the podcast and 3d printing stuff, but I'm, I'm just, what, what's your technique for keeping yourself going with this stuff and finding the time to do all these things? Um, well, yeah, work, I, 
work has been good about because I know a lot of companies, um, you know, they expect you to work like 60, 70 hours a week. And um, I work my butt off during the day. Like I'm most of us are on like three different programs. Mm. And um, yeah, there's days where, you know, we have to meet a deadline. Uh, but I try not to live at the office because mm. I have stuff to do. Um, as far as having the time to do all these uh, projects and stuff, it's basically a matter of uh, uh, motivation. Because, mm. um, uh, you know, there, there's people, they do their little side gigs because they either want to get famous or they want to make money mm. or um you know, whatever drives your boat for me, uh, what kind of drives me to work on this stuff at home is the interaction I get with people. Mm. Um, cause you know, I, I could very well make like model trains that, you know, sit in my house and never go anywhere. You know, I could, um, uh, the model rocketry group is a good group of people, but you know, there's only, it's not a very big group. Right. Um, where, you know, what drives me to work on these projects is, um, you know, I, I will be selfish. There is a little bit of a rock star feel, sure. feeling when you go to a convention. Everybody wants your picture to know, yeah. like, you know, oh, you have a ball with a mixing bowl on its head that's rolling. How the hell did you make that happen? <laughs> um, and uh, so, yeah, there's a little bit of that, but a lot of it that keeps me going is just um, like I've met all my friends in this community. Um, so, you know, I got friends in the 501st. Uh, I got friends I dragged you no know, from costuming. I got friends I dragged into costuming. Um, so this is part of like our big social outlet, too. Mm. Um, uh, plus, I've, you know, like what, you know, like this guy, uh there's a little joke I've always been trying to do. Like if I ever did TikTok or vine or whatever, whatever the kids are into these days, um, the, uh, you know, what's it like owning a droid? And I'm like, well, I'm just going to take my wallet and just keep throwing money at them. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, when you see like the reaction he gets of, you know, the ch- people in the hospitals or, um, there's a, uh, young gentleman, William, uh, who uh, met my Dalek uh, years ago at a convention, and now he's on his high school robotics team because wow. of that. Um, and, you know, like, the difference it makes in people's dates, like, you know, he's on his robotics team. Again, he's made a difference in a bunch of weddings. Um, I got one friend, I'm not going to mention her name because she'll get mad at me, but um, <laughs> she she was super shy and... Uh, uh, like I could not get her to costume for years and finally convinced her to try it. And, uh, this past celebration, she did, uh, one of the characters and actually ran into the people who came up with that character for the video game. Um, so, you know, like seeing her smile, uh, has really made this dip, you know, cause sometimes you get back and, you know, I'm, I'm, let's face it, I'm 35. Most of my coworkers, you know, are at that point, like, they got kids and families and, you know, they're talking about, you know, their weekend plans are, you know, like, Oh yeah. You know, I went to, you know, I'm taking my kid to daycare, you know, here's how I'm managing my lawn and something. I'm like, 
you know, and sometimes you feel out of place about that, but then when you see like the impact you're doing with this stuff, you know, like motivating people to get creative and brightening people's days, that's what really drives me to, you know, get off my butt and get in that garage and do something. I love that. Now, was it always that way? Did you, did you find yourself seeing that that was what was driving you or, or was it, uh, I'm just interested, like, was that always the, the goal or has it changed over time? Uh, well, in the grand scheme of things, it changed. Cause originally, if you asked me where I wanted to be, uh, when I was in, like when I started, uh, my, uh, when I started college and you asked me where I wanted to be, I wanted to be an astronaut by now. Mm. Um, or, you know, not even if it wasn't the astronaut path, um, you know, I figure, okay, I'm going to be spending all my time in a lab to have my name on something that's going into space. Mm. And that was, that was it. I'm like, I don't need, you know, to go out and party. I don't need to do the social aspect stuff. Um, you know, like, this is it. This is what I'm doing. And uh, along that way, I took a very hard left turn. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very thankful I'm still working on stuff that could go space. Like, I don't know if you heard, uh, Dynetics just got awarded the contract for the Artemis lander. So, you know, fingers crossed. Awesome. Uh, one of three. I'm, it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, one of three. And then we also are one of the companies working with Astrobotic on the unmanned landers. So, you know, mm. fingers crossed I'm getting something on the moon. Hell yeah, dude. Um, That's awesome. <laughs> before this is all over. But at that same time, so, you know, that dream's still going. But at that same time where I thought, okay, I'm just going to be working on aerospace stuff all the time. I entered this other world where I'm like, I'm inspiring kids to get into robotics. I'm brightening people's days. I'm... Mm. You know, like, uh, I joke around, like, oh, what'd you do this weekend? Yeah, I worked on my house. Well, what'd you do this weekend? Well, I danced with the Disney princesses. My Dalek punched one of the doctors in the face. Um, had, like, the entire Star Wars cast, you know, doing Bohemian Rhapsody. I mean, awesome. it, it's a story I wouldn't change for anything. Yeah. Now, has it been challenging? I, I, so, I, I say this question because I've, I've had... Uh, you have moments, I think, when you're off doing your own thing, something that's not typically normal, mm -hmm. um, or like you're saying, you know, you, you kind of feel out of place. I, I totally understand that. And I think a lot of people who are right on the edge of doing their own thing feel that. Was, was it a, for me, I'll, I'll give my perspective and I'd love to hear yours, but for me, it's been uh, almost a therapeutic thing. So, um, you know, obviously it's been amazing reaching the people around the world. It blows my mind that we reach people around the world with this podcast. Mm -hmm. that, that blows my mind. Um, and, and to, there are people who are um, in college to be engineers or have graduated and, and can't, haven't quite found their place. Um, and when I talk to people at my day job about this, it doesn't, it like, they just don't, and how could they, they don't, it doesn't compute as they're like, well, what do you do for fun? I'm like, I just told you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, has that, what what keeps you? What keeps you? I mean, obviously, it's the seeing the people's face. But um, do you have any tips for people who are who are trying in in the process of finding that confidence to know that you know this is this is fine to do it just because it's not typical a normal you know fingers um, quotes uh, 
what would be your advice to someone that's right on the edge of starting it or trying to find that confidence? Uh, the big, the big single thing is, um, cause I, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I wor- I worry about stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm actually very much a, you know, I, I have, I have, I have days I'm depressed. Um, I've had, I've had months where, you know, I would, there was like a very bad period a couple months, uh, about a year ago where I didn't want to do anything. Cause I'm just like, I've had it. And, um, you know, I would just like come home and sit on the couch till it was time to go to bed. And, you know, even today there's like, I'm constantly like, you know, I think, uh, you know, I'm worried like, Oh, what do my employers think of me with all this kitty stuff? Um, you know, what do my parents think? Uh, you know, stuff like that. But then again, this was one of those lessons I learned from the frat is, or, you know, I'm, is just go for it. So it's like, um, like, okay. So silly example. Um, so I'm a big Cubs fan. Mm. Um, you know, I, I grew up in from Chicago. Um, you know, my, my parents, my family, we grew up just South of uh, Chicago. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm very, uh, I'm not, the biggest sports fan in the world, but you know, I root for my home team and I, I love, I love my Cubs. Um, so, you know, I'm keeping track of the, uh, standings all year and, uh, you know, we've had to deal with that. Okay. When's it going to (laughs) happen? Um, and I mean, I was in college in 2003 when the Bartman incident happened. So for those of you who don't know, we were like two outs away from making it to the World Series and a fan caught the ball and then we lost the game. I see it in my head. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, and I think that guy's still in witness protection. I don't know. Um, and uh, so when they finally won the World Series, first off, um, yeah, I remember the guy caught the ball and I just collapsed because uh, my friends were, my friends act because my friends aren't you know all big sports fans. Uh, I got a couple down here who are you know Alabama football, but that's mm. it. Um, but they were all having Wayne watch because they all thought I was going to have a heart attack. Um, so you know they win the World Series, and I'm like, you know what? Because I thought about this for years, and I'm like, you know what? I want when they, whenever they win the world series, I'm going to make the trophy because the commissioner's trophy has these 30 flags that are on an angle. Cause I thought, you know, it'll be fun to figure out what the equation is for how tall each flagpole is. <laughs> so, um, that Ju- July, I said, you know what? I- I'm going to do this for Dragon Con. So I made the trophy, I actually drove the equation, um, and figure and plugged it into Excel for how tall, yeah, there's the. Oh my God, please, yes. If you guys are not watching this on YouTube, you have to. Oh my God, that's that's amazing. Yeah, so I, I made the trophy, and um, I got a. I already own a Cubs uh, jersey. It actually is Watney with number two on the back. <laughs> um, and you know, I got the baseball pant, and um, so I go to Dragon Con. Now, I haven't been nervous at Dragon Con in years, but there was this moment of, okay, I am wearing a Cubs sports costume at a geek convention in Atlanta. This is not going to go well. So I had two options. I could either play it safe and not do it, 
or I could say, screw it. I'm going to go see what happens. I just, and uh, I kind of am on the, you know, no regrets philosophy. So mm-hmm. I went ahead and do it. And yeah, it was a big hit. A lot more Cardinals fans there than I thought. But, um, but yeah, it was a big hit. And uh, so, so a lot of thing with fear Cause you know, I got friends who, you know, they're afraid to go to conventions cause they worry about feeling silly or, you know, don't want to get on the karaoke stage or mm. something. And I have those fears too. You know, I go to a lot of conventions. I'm just worried about, okay, is this gonna, is this going to go over well? Um, and even with my day job, like, uh, I am scared to death of pressurized things. Mm. I don't like, I don't like loud noises. Like we, and we have to deal with uh you know pressurized not just pressurized gases sometimes it's pressurized flammable gases like right. uh, i have had to work with hydrogen a lot and like honestly yeah that stuff scared the hell out of me um but at the same time it's like okay well my only two options here is here i can go suck it up and deal with it or i can stay home and cower and like no there's a story ahead of me i'm writing this story so i go and do it yeah thank you so much for sharing that because that i i i was in a i was before i started this podcast i was in that place of fear and so part of this podcast has been a journey of me fighting that fear i mean every time i have an interview i mean i get i've gotten better at realizing what it is but yeah i mean i have a mini panic attack every time i do this it's uh um Fighting that fear with for with the scientific mindset has been my my biggest tool in this fight um, because everyone has fear and I, I think letting people know that being afraid or having fear that's just part of the human condition like that's it's good like it's not great that you feel that way but it's it's there for a reason and what you do with it is is what makes i mean that's why you have all this all these amazing things around you it's why you're in the position you're in right now is because you've gone against it and like you said just go for it right but well and yeah and sometimes fear is good like um so again i'm a test engineer Mm. and um one of the weird things about that is you kind of have to be in this very pessimistic mindset because you have so first off i always tell everybody i work with okay we have three objectives here and these are them in order Mm. a we're all leaving in one piece at the end of the day two we're not destroying the hardware and then three we're getting the data that's Mm. the order. and to be a good test engineer i think you have to be a little bit of a pessimist and afraid because you have to figure out every single thing that can possibly go wrong right If if this if this pressure sensor goes wrong am i going to be blind to this instrument if a bolt cracks what happens what um, you know, if I'm standing here, um, when this thing is pressurized was the worst possible outcome that could happen. Right. And, you know, there's a lot of people who would not deal with it, but we just work those problems and, uh, you know, tackle them. Yeah. I'm so glad you said that. Cause, um, I've done some testing myself and that pessimism is so important in, even to the point of, even to the point of not just accepting that everyone knows what they're doing. A hundred percent. We have, yeah, we have a very important phrase, which is trust, but verify. Um, Mm. Yeah. I very much trust them. 
Yeah, I very much trust the group of people I work with. I would not be working with them if I didn't. Right. Um, and I hope uh, they have the same uh, opinion of me. Mm. But at the same time, we do have to, okay, um, double check, okay, did you make sure you closed the valve and stuff? Just because you have to make sure we didn't skip something. Right. No, I'm glad you said it that way. That's much better than the way I said it. Um, but that that relates so much to, like, why... Like when people see astronauts, they see them, you know, they're prepared. They're like, like very, I don't want to say stone cold, but like they, they seem almost from the outside, like super calm and even just like, like the typical astronauts demeanor. Um, but what you learn when you dive into it is that they're just so prepared. Like you're saying, they've, they've, they know to find out when something goes wrong, to know the dangers ahead of time, even down to the point where they're family knows if something does go wrong, they're going to find out if all that stuff has been planned ahead of time. So then they can just go into the mission mm-hmm. and do what they need to do. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think um, another part of that astronaut mindset is because um, when you get a task like that, you're laser focused. Mm-hmm. Um, like what, one of the things um, I deal with is, you know, we all have stuff going on in our lives and stuff, uh, and you know, like movies or podcasts or you know, TV shows. Everyone wants to talk about. Well, when I'm at the test conductor computer, I don't talk anything about that because I'm looking at all these displays and stuff. So that's where my attention is. So right. it's like I'm not trying to be rude. It's just like, yeah, I'll happily go over stuff either during lunch or after. But like right now, this is keeping all of my attention right now. Yeah. Oh man, that's, that's incredible. I thank you so much for sharing that. I mean, that's not, you know, the the fear aspect, it's, it's something, uh, and it's something I'm working more on to, to try. And I I feel like, especially in today's world, the, 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 the new world, as we, we call it, I think (laughs) having that, um, having that ability to break down information. And like you said, verify, like there's, there's such, there's so much unknown today and as far as like information exchange, like you don't even know uh, if the information you're getting is correct. And, and so having a tool to traverse that, just the pure chaos that's out there, I think having that, that science mindset is so important. It, it's very valuable. I don't think it's the only way, but it's, it's very valuable. It's, it's critical. Um, Cause honestly, that's one of those things I always have a hard time relating to the general public is I don't, it's hard for me to understand a lot of people don't have a scientific mindset because like uh, one of the, one of the big things that, you know, on Facebook, you always see these things about, you know, how can they taught us, you know, the uh, mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell, but they didn't teach us to do our taxes. And I have to keep explaining to people, yeah, they taught you the science stuff so that, you know, if someone's talking bullshit to you, right. <laughs> true it's true and and i think and part part of why i'm doing this segment is is to kind of like we said break break the egg of like what a scientist is and like how how we think and where we came from um Mm -hmm. because i think for so many people i know for me i had a hard time test taking was such a, a, a 
a scary, like stress inducing, like literally all, I had so much stress that all the blood would go away from my brain. And I literally couldn't remember a single thing when I took a test. And I think there's so many people that as soon as you say science, they think of that bad teacher or they think of that. They just couldn't get it back in the day and they shut themselves off. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's so many of us that have had that issue and we just, you know what? Well, once you're out of school, you don't take you don't take tests anymore, so it doesn't really matter at that point. You uh, don't take them, but you run them. But you run them, <laughs> right? Right. That's fair. <laughs> so um, I, I want to close out with um, just a, a few more things, like like putting content online. Um, as how, how have you approached that? How how does it? Where, where do you draw the line in your day? Like, do you have a, a, a line where you say, "Okay, I'm done." Um, how do you, how do you structure that? How do you manage that? Um, more or less, it's just out of, uh, time priority. Cause like, uh, so, so first off, this is my first podcast. So very, uh, thank you very much for having me on. It's an honor. <laughs> um, so a lot of the stuff I do, I do like, I'll, I'll do panels at conventions, like, um, either just on the robots or I've tried to do some, even the more basic stuff like, uh, ohm's uh electrical wiring where i'll go into ohm's law and you know how why do you need the resistor on the led and stuff like that um i've had a question come up at a bunch of panels which is uh you know how come you don't do a youtube channel um you know you could get like so many followers and uh the main reason i don't do that is because it's just so much time um because like a, t- a typical day for me is I get up, uh, I get up, I go to work, um, you know, for nine hours with like a one hour lunch break in there. I come home, I'll eat dinner, I'll um, let the cat sleep on my lap for about an hour. Um, and, you know, I'll call my folks and then I usually spend the next four hours working on something because yeah. um Part of the thing is I don't watch a lot. Uh, you know, I, I rather keep my hands busy. Um, so I don't, you know, watch. It's very rare to find a TV show that I actually like sit down to watch nowadays. Mm. It's usually just either background noise. Um, Clone Wars has been kicking so much ass, though. Like, I yeah. have to catch up. I'm so behind. I've, everyone keeps telling me I got to catch up. So I agree. <laughs> Yeah, pl- yeah. So here's my plug for Clone Wars and uh, Dragon Prince. So yeah, waiting on that season four. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so it's like I don't want to spend a lot of time just editing videos or making videos and stuff because I'd rather be making something cool and letting the project talk for me. Hmm. Um, so right now, yeah, I'm doing the Instagram stuff um, at. I want, I used to do full write-ups on the builds. So they're actually on the two-story props blog. There is a full write-up on uh, how we did the Watney suit and how we did the uh, moon suit along with all the other projects I did prior to 2015. Um, Two-storyprops.com? Two-storyprops.blogspot.com. So yeah, there, there's the old archive. Um, So I've been trying, wanting to get back into that. It's just, Again, usually it's like, okay, I'm either going to sit down at the computer and do that, or I'm going to, you know, figure out here's what I need to, like, what I'm doing the rest of tonight is I'm going through a parts list to figure out what I need to order for the new BB-8 and the Mars Mm. rover so that we can get that going. Uh, So this is a selfish question, but I think it might Uh some people. Um, 
so I, I am learning that balance. I've gotten better at it. Um, but I, I find myself and I'm interested to see if you get to this space too, but, uh, trying to find that balance, I sometimes will overshoot and then just have to pull myself back because, you know, I'm just trying to do too much at one time. Is that something you've learned over time or was there something you learned that helped you with that? I have hit burnout plenty Mm. of times. Um, Yeah. With the project or work or life in general. Um, And uh, yeah, I mean, balance is hard. It's just trying to figure out what you want to do. Um. So, yeah, there's other things in my life I would like to do, um, like, you know, reading. Um, you know, I do live by myself right now, so I don't necessarily – I'm comfortable with that, but I maybe don't want that to be the forever case either. Um, but at the same time, it's like um, this kind of is my stress relief. Mm. Um, so that's uh, one of the things is it actually, like – cutting wood in my garage is actually the most therapeutic thing I've done. Uh, like I had to make, uh, I remember, uh, earlier last year I had to make, uh, the vacuum form bucks for our new proton packs. Cause we decided to vacuum form them this time. Mm. And I'm just sitting there with a ruler and a saw cutting MDF, uh, with a bunch of sawdust on my hands. And you just had this like kind of moment of Zen. Yes. Oh, I totally relate to that. Yeah. Being hands-on is, uh, yeah, it's like a mantra. It's a, it's like a meditation almost. It's, it's, it's weird, but I, I try to do everything I can to do that. <laughs> yeah. And, and as far as balance, I mean, the, the biggest problem, and this is, this is probably the single scariest thing about getting older, I find is cause you know, back in co- back in college, everything's a possibility. Mm. Uh, you know, there's all these student organizations you can try. There's all these, you know, like-minded people. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot, most of them, uh, are, you know, are still optimistic mm. about things at that point. And then you start hitting this point where people start getting a little more pessimistic and people start settling, um, or, you know, like, mm-hmm. okay, these, these dreams are not happening. Like, you know, like, um, I know if you, you know, like everyone, you know, starts off like, Oh, I'm going to be a rocket scientist. I'm going to be a rock star. I'm going to sing on Broadway. And then you start seeing a few of them give up on that. And that starts being the most depressing thing. And the scary thing is, yeah, certain stores, do start to close. Uh, like, um, okay, you know, like when you see the age of baseball players and it's like, yeah, that's depressing. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, I would, you know, there's other things I would like, like to do if I had time. Uh, you know, I would have liked to learn how to, you know, sing or dance or, you know, uh, honestly, if I wasn't doing this, I'd really like to go explore shipwrecks. Uh, that's been kind of one of those fascinations I've had. Um, but at the same time, like, uh, this has been, I'm still enjoying this. So mm. that's why I still do it. Um, yeah, no, and that, that right there is the enjoying it part that I, I think look at, it, it's not easy. Uh, I, I can say that from my own perspective, it's not easy to try and do the thing that you enjoy doing, um, even though, you know, it burns time, it burns money. Um, but it's so important for you as a human being to do things that you enjoy. I, I mean, why are we here? 
otherwise, mm-hmm. you know, we're, it's, we're, you know, we're not ants. We're not just here to, to, you know, build, <laughs> build yeah. stuff, you know, there's, there's so much out there and there's, there, this time is, is, I mean, there's no better time, especially if you wanted to spread your message out online. I mean, literally in this new world, that's how mm-hmm. everyone's communicating right now. Um, so if it, it, I've, I've even gotten back into, to, playing my trumpet um and getting back into playing music it's been it's been very very nice and and granted i there are days i just don't get to it like they just and and that balance is a constant it's a constantly moving state that you're trying to 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 find which it's very it feels very scientific it feels very uh almost almost rocket like where it's like okay the rocket works when it's perfect and you're just always trying to get it perfect Mm -hmm. (laughs) um (laughs) Wayne, thank you so much, man, for for being on. This was uh, this was a great talk. I feel like we could talk for another few hours. Yeah, it's, it's been fun. Yeah, and yeah, I, I got I got a lot of other stories we didn't even get to. <laughs> okay, great. I mean, then we'll we'll have to we'll have to do it again. I mean, as far as podcasting is concerned, my friend, you you are uh, you are you you settled right into it. This is this seems like your alley. So thank um, you. Yeah, man. Um, I'm glad. Very happy that you we uh, were your uh, your first podcast experience. Um, if, is there any last words you'd like to, to, to tell the folks, uh, at home, uh, to, to close out? Uh, so I, I kind of was given a, some thought to this because, you know, a lot of, uh, uh, people aren't going to be getting their commencement speeches, uh, this year. So I guess, uh, kind of a message to the class of 2020 and really anybody, um, try to strive to do great things. Um, cause even if things are not going to work out the way you think they are, again, I started this trip because I want to get hardware, you know, I want to get to space. I want to get hardware. And, you know, I, I thought a lot of other things were going to happen by now that didn't happen. Um, but at the same time, because I strive to do those things, I ended up on this journey full of, uh, 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 robots costumes princesses friends um and it was a journey i wouldn't trade for the world so if you strive to do great things great things will happen even if they're not what you expected them to be i could that's that's a perfect way to end this episode thank you again for being on Uh, thank you very much of course uh spread love spread science be well and we'll see you on the next episode of today in space